Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Career. I'm your host Jennifer Ong and in this podcast, I interview people who have taken a leap of faith and pursued an alternative career path in Asia. Before I get started with today's episode, if you are feeling unfulfilled and unhappy at your corporate job, but not sure what else you'd want to do, well, my one-on-one career coaching program is designed to help you pivot from a perfect on paper job into a perfect for you career. I also share a ton of career tips on my Instagram at ongjennifer underscore. So make sure you follow me there. Today, I'm also sharing my three-step framework to help you figure out what exactly you're interested in and how to translate that into a career. It's a framework that has helped me and my clients at Google, Amazon, Accenture, Vanguard, law firms, and more identify their dream job. Want it? Check out the show notes to today's episode. All right, let's dive right into today's episode. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Coral Chung, the founder of Senrev. It's a direct-to-consumer luxury handbag company well-loved by celebrities. So Coral actually started her career as a management consultant at Bain after she graduated from UPenn. After consulting, she actually went back to business school and got an MBA at Stanford. In between, she spent some time in corporate development at a beauty brand and also led the retail team at startup Medallia. So what led her to move from consulting to eventually going to business school and then down the road starting Senrev? And how did she manage to grow Senrev from a small company in San Francisco to the recognizable global brand with physical stores in Hong Kong's prestigious IFC mall today? Well, I'll hand over to Carl now to share her story. Thank you so much, Coral, for joining us on the on the podcast today. Super, super excited to have you here and just you know hear about your career journey and also how you started um, Senrev. Yeah, happy to happy to speak about it. Amazing. So um, I thought I'd just start off at the beginning. You know, rewind all the way back to university days. Um, I know that you went to to UPenn and studied there. How did you decide one what to study? And also to what to move into afterwards when you when you graduated. It was actually really interesting because I feel that I had a pretty good understanding going into college. I wanted to do something international business, international relations related, and it had a lot to do with my upbringing and my childhood being born in China and growing up in. Southern California, but really always having a very multicultural, global worldview, if you will. Uh, my parents were entrepreneurs, and I so I grew up in an entrepreneurial household. And as an only child, I was really immersed in that. So I felt an interest and a passion for it. And they just always brought me to various business meetings. And I was just always surrounded by adults who were talking business all the time. So I felt like that was very normal. Um, So I studied um, international business and finance and management. I did a very kind of special program at UPenn where there's a um, dual degree between Wharton, which is the undergrad business school program and the college which is more of a traditional liberal arts um, program. And so I thought it was a great fit for me because it was a balance of all the things that I wanted. 
And it was a, it was a really tight group and a small program within a big school. And it also had a really amazing study abroad element, which was, you know, immersion into um, the language that you were focused on. And in my case, it was Mandarin. Okay. So when you graduated, were you thinking, okay, I'm definitely going into something business related? I think I explored a variety of things um, during my time in college. So I tried um, like an early stage startup for my summer internship freshman year. And I tried doing research with a professor and potentially going the route of academia. So that was interesting. Um, I also did an investment banking internship. And I realized that was not for me, but I started meeting more people and looked into consulting more. And I felt like that was a great fit because I didn't know exactly what sector or what specific area I was interested in, but I knew that I really liked business strategy and I really felt that consulting would give me a way to explore a variety of different industries, a variety of different job functions, and also um, travel the world and see different environments and meet a lot of different executives at varying levels. Um, so I thought that it was a really great opportunity for a young person like myself who was looking to learn and explore. Um, and so that's how I ended up at Bain. Got it. Got it. So it wasn't like, oh, my ultimate goal is to be, be an entrepreneur. And so I'll work at Bain for a couple of years and, and learn from, from them. It was more just, you know, this is a cool way for me to explore and learn about jobs and we'll figure it out along the way. Yeah. I think in the back of my mind, I always knew that I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. So it wasn't entirely random, but <laughs> it was one of those things where I felt like it kept my options open um, and it was a great learning opportunity. Amazing, got it. Um, so you worked at Bain for, for a couple of years, right? Um, and after that, I know that you went into business school. And what, what made you decide to, to go into business school? You know, it's really interesting that I did always want to get an MBA and go to business school because there were a couple of reasons behind that. And not all of them were related to getting the credentials or the degree. A lot of it was related to, I felt like, I needed some space and time away from being so focused on my day-to-day -day tactical work. And I think that I really believe in getting a perspective when you're in a particular environment that you would not get in your regular day-to-day. -day. So I really felt like business school could give me an opportunity for that and to, to have the mind space to be really creative and meet interesting people and get inspired and through that process, learn more about myself. And so um, I know it's really common for people, you know, for, from a, a consulting background to go to business school for a couple of years and then, um, you know, go back into, into consulting. And I saw that that was something that you did yourself as well. So I wanted to get your thoughts around that, especially because, you know, you mentioned that you 
do have this entrepreneurial side to yourself, you know, when you were in business school, were you thinking like, oh, this could be a good opportunity for me to test out starting a business eventually? You know, it's interesting because I really feel like entrepreneurship, it was like something that I felt was too... It was too scary or it was too daunting. Um, I always felt like I wasn't fully prepared for it and I needed more credentials or I needed more experience. You know, like I'm not sure why that was ingrained in me. Perhaps it had something to do with the way people portrayed entrepreneurs as larger than life or the successful entrepreneurs that I saw maybe didn't look or relate to me or I didn't relate to them as much. And so I went back to consulting after business school for various reasons, not necessarily related to my entrepreneurial career track, but more for personal reasons. Um, I had gotten married during business school, uh, you know, consulting firms, um, if, if you are doing well there, they typically will offer to sponsor your business school. So it's a very nice financial situation to not leave business school with student loans and things like that. So I felt that it was, you know, a financially responsible thing to do. Um, so there are like these very practical reasons, I would say. But ultimately, I tried to make my consulting experience relevant to what I wanted to do next. So I think that was, it was very helpful and relevant. And I, at that point, I really had in mind that the experiences that I wanted to gain, you know, specifically were in consumer or retail or things that would be relevant to uh, me starting SunRev. Ah, okay. So you were then very deliberate about getting staffed on projects that were maybe more consumer oriented so you could learn more about that, that industry. Yeah. And was that something that was, like, came easily to you? Like you just realized like, okay, like this is definitely the area that I'm interested in, or was it more of a trial and error process? Uh, it was definitely narrowed down. So I, I did um, work in tech and I worked for a startup and the startup was super interesting because it was a um, kind of like a clean tech biotech company that had various um, end product applications. So it was an algae technology that could be converted into fuels or chemicals or cosmetics products believe it or not, but it was really interesting technology. I worked on various facets of it, but I was definitely drawn to the more consumer side of things that were more focused on branding and product creation and things like that. So that was a really interesting data point. And then in business school, I definitely focused more on consumer and luxury fashion, retail, um, these areas in particular. Uh, so I focused on meeting people who could be my mentors in this area, various advisors and so forth. Mm. And these were like internships that you did during business school. The startup that I talked about was, a, a, it was actually, I took like a leave of absence from Bain and I worked there for about a year before business school. Oh, wow. And what, what made you decide to, to do that? 
I really wanted a operating experience before business school. I think that's quite valuable because I think when you're in consulting, there's a lot of strategy work and there's a lot of kind of high level thinking, which is amazing. There's obviously great analytical work, but there's less execution and there's less of being in this hands-on startup environment. So I wanted to get a feeling for that and decide if that was something that was exciting to me, was interesting, both from a job and industry sector perspective, as well as just the experience of being an operator. Is that, is that exciting? Or would I be a better fit to be more of a strategist? Um, and it turned out that I did love being an operator and I thought that was really great. And also the company was going through an interesting growth phase. It raised, you know, venture capital funding and it was on track to going public. So there was just a lot of exciting things about it that I was able to experience in a short amount of time. Amazing. And you mentioned it was a leave of absence. So were you like still employed like by, by being at that point or was it like, they were like, okay, yeah, go. And then if, when you're ready to come back, you, you have a job waiting for you. Um, it, it's actually, it's called an externship. So it's like a secondment. So technically I was still not employed by Bain, but I think there, there's some type of thing where like they still have me, uh, I'm still on their benefits program and things like this. Um, but the startup was paying for my salary. Mm. And was that a difficult decision for you to make? Or is that really quite common actually in, in, in with consultants? Definitely at Bain, it's a program that people do. I wouldn't say it's common in the sense that not everybody does it, but it was definitely something that I felt was important for me to do. And I think it's a really great program. And the, the purpose from Bain's perspective of doing that, I think, is that, you know, they hope that you get a lot of relevant experience that you bring back to the job. And then also maybe you get some data, like you realize, you know, the world outside of Bain is not so great, right? And you want to go back, something like this. Um, but it's, it's because, you know, a lot of times people join Bain straight out of college like I did. And so you don't have a lot of data points with regards to other companies and so forth. Um, so, you know, certainly I was curious and I think some people are, so I thought that was a great way to do it. Um, now I tend to be kind of a rule breaker, right? So I definitely did some things that were not normal. Like for example, the typical externship is six months and mine was a lot longer. And, you know, I just extended it because it was going really well and it was super interesting. And I was really like deep into a lot of huge projects. So it didn't make sense for me to leave that company and go back to Bain for a few months and then start business school. Um, so anyway, you know, I really feel that I carved out a cool path for myself given the Bain context and still had the support and to a degree security of Bain's business school sponsorship and all of that. 
That's actually really cool because you managed to get like advisory experience, like operational experience and, you know, business school experience all during your time uh, with Bain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, I really got a lot out of the experience, which is why um, I stayed for many years because I think I was evolving and learning and really making the most out of that experience during my time. Got it. That's amazing. That's so cool. Um, and so what ultimately, what made you decide to move on from Bain? You know, I felt that at a certain point, I saw kind of what was before me and what was before me was really training me to become a great partner at a consulting firm or at Bain in particular. And I knew that that wasn't what I wanted for my career. I think it is an incredible job and I have so much respect for people who are partners at consulting firms because it takes a lot to get there and it takes a lot to be great at that job. But for me, I really wanted to do something more hands-on and operational and also eventually start a company. So I did start getting concerned at some point that if I continue to stay at Bain and, and continue down the course, my learning would be more focused on how to become a great Bain partner as opposed to how to be an incredible entrepreneur. And so I started to see that more and more. And so I felt that that was the right juncture for me to leave Bain to really um, hone my operating experience. So that's when I joined Medallia, which is um, at the time a really high-flying, high-growth unicorn tech company Um, and I joined Medallia leading retail. And so I was still doing consumer and brands and retail in the context of a data analytics tech company. So it was also like a really great fit for me in terms of, you know, experiencing, um, a high growth tech company, like a pre-IPO tech company, as well as getting deeper into the sector that I wanted to focus on. Got it. Got it. And how did you pick Medallia? I know you mentioned you wanted to go into like a high growth type of company you, know, you were interested in consumer products. Were there other companies you were considering at that point? I did consider um, a few other companies. Um, but I think with Medallia, it was interesting, actually. Um, there are a couple of factors. So one was the founders were Stanford Business School alums. And it was a unique situation because they were a husband and wife team, but they were ex-BCG consultants. And so I thought it was really interesting that they had more of a consulting and a generalist background, but they were able to start a data analytics tech company. Um, And so I felt that their background was interesting and more relatable to me in some ways. And it was also a man and a woman. So I found that to be really cool. And then the other thing um, that was interesting was uh, their lead investor um, was a friend and mentor of mine. And he really advocated that it was a really great company and it was going to do incredibly well. And so um, he felt that me joining at that juncture was a great time. Um, so that those were some of the more nuanced reasons, but at a high level, it definitely fit my interest. And 
also I felt the company had a really unique and great culture and great focus on culture and attracted interesting and smart people. Um, and that's something that I tend to gravitate towards because I feel like throughout my career, I've been fortunate to work in environments with really smart and interesting people and uh, a strong focus on culture. So um, I wanted to experience that again in this startup context as well. So at Medallia, what, what were you doing for them? So I was leading retail for them. So it's a big data analytics company that focuses on customer experience. It was really interesting for me because Medallia is the customer experience platform for pretty much all the top leading retail brands and companies ranging from like Apple, which I worked on, Apple retail to like Nike, to um, Sephora, uh, Tory Burch, you know, kind of like Nordstrom. I mean, really all the major retailers, leading brands, et cetera, used um, Medallia. So it was really a fascinating um, way for me to see all of the data for these companies and understand where their strengths were and what they were working on. And um, it was a really cool experience from that perspective. And I was also um, establishing relationships in this sector that was very, very relevant to my interest. And then from a Medallia perspective, it was a really exciting stage and life cycle of the company. And so when I joined, you know, the retail team was pretty small, like, uh, maybe three to five people or so. And when I left, it was like over 30 people. So it really, you know, evolved tremendously. And the company when I joined was maybe a couple hundred people, maybe 200, 250 or something. And when I left, it was close to like a thousand people. So a lot of crazy change and growth. And that was also really valuable for me to experience. Cool. Amazing. And I know that then you started um, Senrev after Medallia, but how did that all come about? Like, did the idea come up while you were at work one day or was this something that you were always pondering about? How, how, did, how did the idea come about? It's so exciting for me and just boggles my mind actually to think about the exact circumstance when um, Sanrev came about to me because I've always had different ideas and I, I think of myself as someone who's like has no shortage of ideas with company to start or pain points to solve or things like that so I always have ideas but with Sanrev it was really interesting because I was on a um, business trip in New York. Um, I was speaking at the CMO conference on a panel representing Medallia, obviously. And during the middle of the, the panel, I had this like crazy out of body experience where this little voice was telling me, oh, it's really time for you to work on your own company and speak about that and think about that. You know, why are you still at Medallia talking about customer experience and data analytics. So it was, it was, um, yeah, it was a really exciting spark that happened. And then um, 
on the plane ride back from New York to San Francisco, I really wrote out the business plan for SunRev, uh, which is kind of crazy, uh, but it really was very authentic to me, right? And somehow there was just a moment and a spark where um, all of this came out actually in a very coherent way. So it's fun for me to like revisit that document once in a while because it's always amusing to see how much has changed or how much has stayed the same. That's super cool. What made you decide to start like a handbag company? I felt uh, personally an opportunity to start something in this space because I saw that there were still a lot of pain points where I could never find that perfect bag. And I was always struggling with something that was very functional and masculine or something that was more beautiful and luxurious. And there wasn't really something that allowed me to achieve both. And so I felt like there was a big opportunity in the market. I also felt that direct-to-consumer as a business model at the time was emerging and a lot of luxury brands were not very forward-thinking when it came to digital and e-commerce. Um, I also felt that from a price point perspective, the traditional luxury brands kept raising their prices and the mass luxury brands were really not focused on quality. And so there was a big gap and white space from that perspective as well. So it was very clear to me that there was a big opportunity that was exciting and it was a very specific moment in time. So I would say it was definitely personal experience and passion combined with seeing a pain point and also seeing a market dynamic that allowed Senrev to emerge. Hmm. And I, I love the way that you phrase it. It really is like a combination of like passion and market opportunity um, and, and, a, and a pain point. Um, then that's usually what creates a, a really successful business. Um, but I know you mentioned that you had other ideas. You know, you have no shortage of ideas or pain points that you notice. What made it that this one was the one that really stood out for you? It really was something that my husband said, actually. He said, imagine if you were to start this company every day, you would wake up and you would think about it. You would talk about it. You would talk about it with friends, with investors, with family, with anyone you see, strangers in the street, you would be preaching about this thing, right? Like, what is it that you could do that for every day with enthusiasm and excitement and also with authenticity? And so that was something that I think is a pretty high bar. So I guess taking a step back, so, you know, you wrote your business plan on the plane. What were the next steps that you took to bring this idea into, into reality? I did um, a lot of legwork. You know, I always think about Senrev and, and kind of myself and even back to, you know, what I shared earlier about how I thought of my college degree. Um, it's a, a combination of analytics and more kind of humanities and liberal arts. So it's kind of combination of left brain and right brain. And so in this case with Senrev, it's definitely a combination of passion and excitement and authenticity with me validating the market opportunity. So I did 
a lot of consumer research. I did a lot of, you know, and that entailed a lot of focus groups and surveys. And I spoke to a lot of different advisors and mentors in the space. And I started building more relationships and networking with relevant people who would eventually introduce me to suppliers in Italy or partners or um, important people in the overall supply chain um, to create product. So those were some of the things that I did. And every conversation I had, it it led me closer to starting Senrev. And some of them were not like the most encouraging. Some of them were more like, oh, this is a crazy idea. You know, why are you doing this? You should stay at Medallia because it's going to go public and you're going to do really well there. Um, But that, you know, those were also great conversations because I feel like in some ways they were just testing my resolve and they were trying to see how serious I was about pursuing this. Um, so I like that actually, it was quite helpful. Um, and then some of the experts or um, advisors I had who have been in the industry for many years um, spoke a lot about the different challenges and so forth. And again, that was really great feedback and exciting and interesting for me because I think if it were so obvious, you know, then it wouldn't be a different or a high impact type of idea. And so it was not obvious to these people. Like it was so clear and obvious to me, but for all of these people, they didn't see what I saw. So I thought that was a good thing actually. I'm interrupting my very own episode to let you guys know that I have a one-on-one career coaching program designed to help you go from lost and frustrated with your corporate job to living and crushing it in your dream career. Do you feel unfulfilled and unhappy at your job despite having the perfect, prestigious, high-paying job? Are you great at chasing other people's dreams but have no idea what your own dreams and goals are? Do you know deep down that you need to quit your job but you're not quite sure what else you would even do? If this sounds like you, well, I am sharing my three-step framework to help you find your passion today. Want it? Check out the show notes to today's episode to download the free guide now. All right, back to the episode. I I really like the way you approach that because I think a lot of people might be deterred by the sort of negative feedback that you get from people or people's questionings. But I think for you, you actually saw it as like, okay, it's great that it's not so obvious for these people because then that means there's a potential opportunity here that people are missing out on. Um, and I, I really love the way that you you approach it in a very positive um, light instead of taking criticism in a maybe more negative way. Actually, on that point of building out your network, do you have any tips for people who are looking to build out their network, whether it's in a professional sense or in a in a business sense? What has worked well for, for you? I definitely think that it's important to be really focused on it. It doesn't happen naturally. You really have to have a, you have to have a strategy and have to have an approach and you have to be mindful about how you're pursuing it. And so again, in my context, I knew that I was interested in this particular sector. And so within my relevant networks, you know, whether it was in my Bain experience in my consulting network and the clients that I worked with, or 
it was during business school at Stanford, you know, I really focused on it. And I also made it clear to people that I met that this is what I was interested in. And I definitely um, made asks of them, right? Especially if, for example, my professors at Stanford who were incredibly well-connected and experienced and had a lot of, you know, they just are meeting interesting people all the time and so forth, right? And so ultimately one of them became one of my angel investors and also introduced me to someone who eventually joined Sanrev's board. And so it all happens very naturally, of course, but it's very intentional. And I think it's important to actually pursue it with intention because I think people who just think of it more casually, you don't end up building that network that you need. Um, and so at this point in time, actually, when you were doing this user research, you know, building out your network, kind of floating your idea out there, were you still at Medallion at this point or you had already left? Yeah, I was still at Medallion. So I was doing more kind of nights and weekends type of work. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, this was sort of like an extracurricular project at this point. It was like your side hustle trying to, to validate and, and get this up and mm -hmm. running. Um, right, exactly. And and so a lot of people talk about like building out like a minimum viable product. Did you go about doing that as well to kind of test out the product, test out the price point, test out the demand? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And and exactly. how did you go about that, that process? I started doing some surveys, you know, friends of friends, the business school community, just like different pockets of people and women that I felt would have some feedback and perspectives to share. So I started doing that. I hosted a couple of things at my house. You know, I sent out surveys to different people and then took the data and combined you know, it's always a combination, right? So the data doesn't tell you everything, but you take the data and you interpret it and you combine it with your own, or in this case, my own intuition and perspective. That was like the process that we went through, which I, I felt I needed to do that, to go through a, what I viewed as a rigorous process because it was not easy for me to just say that I'm going to leave this pretty high-flying tech company, you know, and I was in a great position to, to start from zero again, you know? So I think in a way that was good because I challenged myself a lot. You know, mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that I went through a process that satisfied a pretty tough critic. Yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and was it a scary decision leaving Medallia to do this full-time or you felt like actually like I was fully ready for this like I, I felt good making this decision well you never feel fully ready I think it's kind of like having a baby you're just you know you kind of you need to jump in but I I felt like I did all the preparation that I should and I had a good process. And at, after that, I was still excited about it. And I still felt that it was a strong opportunity. So that was good enough for me. It's probably like 80% of the way there. Okay. And at this point in time, were you working on this alone or you already had a co-founder in place and like a founding team together? So I, at this point, 
just found a co-founder and was, I think, in the process of convincing her to join. And, and, and what was that like? How, how did you manage to, to find a co-founder and, and convince them? So at the time, she was just graduating from business school. And I think she was um, just exploring a few different things. And so I kind of, uh, we were friends and we kind of had a more kind of mentor-mentee relationship because I went to business school a few years before her. And so she was exploring a few things. So I started just telling her more about Sunrev and getting her excited about it. And then it just so happened that right around when I was thinking about leaving Medallia full-time, she was ready to jump into something full-time as well. So the timing worked out really well from that perspective. And so I think right around the time I left Medallia full-time was when um, she came on board. Were there other people you were thinking about bringing on board as your co-founder or it was really, it was really her? Well, I started um, brainstorming and kind of doing some early research and like work with another friend of mine who she also went to Stanford for business school. And so we did some early exploration there. And that was a good experience in the sense that I learned a lot about what I was looking for in a co-founder. And, you know, she and I were friends and we had a great relationship, but I think it wasn't a great fit in terms of being co-founders of a company together because I think she and I had very different working styles and different intensity levels and communication styles and also like maybe a different vision. You know, I think I was always very ambitious with it and she probably would have been more okay with a small lifestyle brand, right? So she and I actually parted ways much before I left Medallia full-time, but that was a really good learning experience for me. And so that gave me more information about what I was looking for. And then so ultimately um, when I did leave Medallia, I had a co-founder that I felt like um, was a better fit. And was it a difficult process for you to find the right co-founder or it was actually, it was okay? It was something also that you have to do with intention. It's not random, but I do feel really fortunate because, um, well, A, I I felt that I wanted a co-founder because I think entrepreneurship is quite lonely. And I think it's just helpful to have someone, especially in the beginning, to um, bounce ideas off of and um, really feel you're building the concentric circles, not by yourself and to a degree kind of replicate yourself so that you can be at two places at once and, you know, meet with investors or partners or recruit um, more team members and so forth. Um, So again, it had to do with like being able to do more at operating at a higher speed. You know, I think some people have a really hard time with that. Um, but I think it's another, it speaks to another kind of validation point of your idea and your vision, right? And so I think if you bring on someone that you feel is high quality that you can work with, like that's a really important validation of your um, vision. Got it. And any tips around finding co-founders? Because I know that's one of the probably make or break it kind of things for for a company, especially in the in the early days. Um, do you look for someone who has like complementary skills to you, or is it more like similar values? What are you? Okay, so like what, what what were you looking for back then? 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think initially I was looking for more kind of like complementary skill sets and experiences. Um, but actually where I landed was more on um, three things. So one is, you know, a strong alignment and vision. I think that's super critical. Um, two is being able to have a very strong working chemistry. And three, it's really um, a very high level of trust, not necessarily just like in each other's integrity and things like that, but more like trust that they could represent the company and the brand and you um, and like trust in their judgment. And, um, you know, like if you're in a car accident and can't make it to a meeting, they could show up and do just as good of a job. So those three things to me, are more important than any kind of functional expertise. Mm, so really more on like the values, the soft skills rather than really like complementary skills or any like hard technical skills that you were you were looking at. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of that you can hire for, you know, and that actually ends up being more like your first employee or maybe like your first critical hires. And again, like thinking back to Medallia, right? Super interesting, you know, husband and a wife co-founding team and their first critical hires were like engineers and data scientists, but both of them didn't have that background, but they obviously had shared vision and great working chemistry and trust in each other. Got it. Got it. Cool. So at this point, you know, you've got a co-founder, you've got samples for your product you've left your job do you have like have like you've already like sold the product or like found customers at this point or like how did did you go about finding finding the first batch of customers not yet um so first we had to develop product and that was extensive you know we were very very thorough and I met with so many different partners in Italy and in China and us and kind of all over looking for partners that could create beautiful and luxurious product and really deliver the quality that I wanted the brand to stand for. So that took a while. And then we also worked a lot on product design and had many, many iterations of that. And then started to speak to some investors to raise capital. So all of that happened before we launched. So we launched in November of 2016. And so in June, July, we had some prototypes. We had like a landing page, like a splash page of a website and started accumulating a wait list. And in the beginning, we just marketed it to, you know, friends and family and friends of friends and different relevant people in our networks, Um, but managed to get like a wait list of maybe couple thousand people. And then um, we had like a pre-order list, like a private beta pre-order list. And I think maybe it opened up in like August or something like that. And it's really funny because one of my friends, actually the person who introduced myself and my co-founder um, was super upset because they wanted to be the first person. Um, and somehow my aunt got the link and somehow it's pass. It was password protected. So I don't know how she got the password, but she ended up placing the first order. And so anyway, my friend was very upset about that, but it was really funny because, so our first three purchasers were my aunts, my friend, 
And then um, his boss at the time, who is a very well-known multi-billionaire hotel and private equity background. Anyway, it's really funny. Um, And the funniest thing, which, you know, it's just what happens in the early days of a startup was we captured payment information in like a very unsecure Google form. So I literally had this billionaire's, you know, Amex black card information in a Google form. <laughs> Probably could have bought like a yacht or something with that. But anyway, oh my God. I, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't take advantage of it. Um, but yeah, that was, that was fun. So that's the story of our first three customers. Wow. That's, that's so cool. And I'm sure those days it was like, so, so, so exciting, like selling that very first product, getting yeah, that very fun. first sale. Um, yeah, it was really fun. That's awesome. It was really fun. Yeah. It was also, I mean, like, look, I feel like even today and it's, it's funny, but like, I remember the first time I saw a stranger with a center of bag in the street. And that was like extremely exciting because, you know, in the beginning, it's like, you'll see people wearing, of course, but it's a friend or a friend of a friend. It's still somebody within your network. Right. But then I remember I was in New York and I think I was at a nail salon or something. And I saw this woman getting like a manicure with a maestro bag and I had no idea who she was. So it was very exciting. Did you say hi? Did you introduce yourself? We did. We did. We said hi. (laughs) Yeah. It's always a fun conversation started because I'm always genuinely curious of like how did she discover it does she like it you know and how did you go about finding these um artisans or these these people in in Italy um definitely a lot of networking talking to different people you know I had an advisor who introduced me to someone who introduced me to someone in Italy who put me in touch with a variety of um factories and and different groups and then I met with a lot of them and we started collaborating on a few things and for some of them it worked out for some of them I didn't feel like you know the quality was there or the relationship or the creativity or whatever it was so yeah I met with many 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 groups um, in Italy in China in the U.S. in you know other parts of Europe so at that time I was definitely traveling a lot and you know, meeting with a lot of people. And, and on the customer side, how did you go about like, I know that you said you had like a landing page, a website, was it mostly like Facebook ads that drove people to, to the website and, and that's how you guys grew or were there other methods that you guys um, used in, in those early days to get your, your brand out there? No, we actually didn't do a lot of performance marketing or like Facebook ads and things like that in the beginning. We really focus on more just like word of mouth and just organic social media. Like we started uh, an Instagram that had really interesting content and had a very clear voice. And we got to maybe like 10,000 followers pretty quickly and then grew from there. So really it was like more focus on those kind of organic channels. And I think it's really important to do that because also, again, that's another validation that there's interest in the market for your brand and your products. And people are talking about it and sharing with their friends about it. So um, that's super important. 
fast forward a little bit. Um, so, you know, you launched the brand, had really great traction. You, like you even had like wait lists, like you were definitely um, oversubscribed. Um, you know, what made you just, so, so I, I know that you, you first started off with just maybe just like one bag and then launch into multiple bags. Um, I wanted to ask you around, you know, expanding to Asia, because I know originally mm-hmm. you guys were just based in the U.S., what made you guys decide to expand uh, to, to Asia? A lot of it had to do with the demand and the product market fit that I saw. So um, in the beginning, we really um, just focused on the U.S. In fact, we weren't able to ship outside of the U.S. But then we had a lot of people get very upset and like demand that we ship it to them in like Hong Kong or Singapore. And just, we got so many requests. So really, again, it was like very organic. Got it. Got it. Okay. And so that's why you guys decided to to move into Asia. Did you ever envision that you would be like a global brand and, you know, have like brick and mortar stores? Cause I, I've even seen your stores like in IFC now in, in Hong Kong. Um, was that always kind of your your vision to be a brick and mortar store in addition to to selling online? Well, I definitely wanted to build a global brand, and that has a lot to do with my background. Again, growing up more as a global citizen and thinking about things with a global mindset, I do feel like it was important from the early days of SunRev to really build a global company and a global brand. And in some ways, we were always very global from the beginning because we always had um, our headquarters in San Francisco and different team members in New York. And we uh, manufactured in Italy. So we had a small team on the ground there and partners there. And so it was already very global in nature. In terms of brick and mortar, you know, I always felt like it was important to be multi-channel and it was important to have presence um, where the consumer is. And in Asia, especially, I feel like there's still a lot of interest and demand for offline um, experiences and offline shopping. And so that was something that was really important, but we definitely tested with pop-ups and things like that to understand, you know, what the demand looks like and what the concept of the store should be and so forth. So it was not, you know, we didn't just decide randomly one day to open up a store. It was definitely very thorough in terms of testing it out and planning it and um, really having a specific strategy around it. Got it. Got it. And so what's next? What's next for, for SenRev? And, and, you know, what's next for, for you? Well, for SenRev, you know, we're really um, continuing to focus on expanding our product offering, um, growing globally, and, you know, really focused on growing our overall brand awareness and presence globally and really building out our team still. And, you know, for me personally, um, I'm still really enjoying the process. I think there's a lot of great strategic partnerships that are coming. We are very focused on sustainability and vegan materials. And we worked on a really great collaboration with this tech company called Modern Meadow that creates molecular level replication of leather. And so we launched a really great vegan product um, with their material. And we were actually the first brand to bring that to market, which is so exciting. So I was just in Italy exploring further collaborations with them. So there's a lot of exciting things, um, innovative things on the horizon 
for sure. That's amazing. And that, I think that that's, that's so cool and keeps you guys, you know, front and center and in, in like all the, all the changes that's happening, you know, in sustainability and in, in fashion. So just wrapping up with one last question. Thanks for so much for your time. Um, but just wrapping up with one last question, which is really what advice would you give yourself maybe at the beginning of your career? Now that you've kind of experienced like all of these things, you know, working for different companies of all shapes, sizes, and even building your own company, what's a couple of pieces of advice or one piece of advice that you have for yourself at the, you know, that you wish you knew um, at the beginning of your, of your career? One is, I think it's important to always lift your head up from what you're doing and really take a step back and think about, is this the right fit? Am I learning? Am I growing? Um, constantly evaluate your situation, right? Don't just be stuck in some kind of inertia. And then the second piece is try to figure out ways to take some risks, whether you're at a big company or a small company. I think it's always important to kind of define things for yourself and take some risks and not just follow the guidelines of what someone tells you to do. So yeah, those would be two very practical things. Amazing. Thank you so much, Coral, for your time today. It was so great chatting with you and just hearing about your career journey and all the amazing and cool things you've been able to build with Senrev. Um, And can't wait to see what's next for you guys and check out this vegan leather bag you guys have got going. Um, But yeah, (laughs) just say a massive thank you, Coral. Thank you. It was great speaking with you. And there you have it my conversation with Coral. Here's a couple key takeaways that I got from this conversation. Number one, understand where you currently are and where you would want to go. For Coral, although her time at Bain was fruitful and she learned a lot, she saw that the path she was going down would lead her to eventually become a partner at the company, which was not actually what she wanted. She knew she wanted to start her own company, and so she decided to join Medallia to learn more about that. Two, When starting your own company, build a product that you are passionate about. It is something that you're going to have to live and breathe every single day. Figure out what your passion is before committing to building a product. Three, business school can be a good way for you to build out your network. For example, Coral's professor from Stanford ended up being one of her mentors, an angel investor, and also introduced someone who joined the team. Four, Coral has three tips for finding the right co-founder. One, strong alignment of the vision. Two, having a strong working chemistry and always, always, always try to work together beforehand. And lastly, number three, a high level of trust. Five, how do you stay relevant as a brand, especially in the fast-changing fashion landscape? Well, Coral's advice is to build engagement with your audience and have an open dialogue with your community. Know where trends are going and also have a flexible and open mindset to try something new and not be afraid to push boundaries. And lastly, constantly evaluate yourself and see if you are learning and growing. Do not be stuck in inertia. Take risks and define yourself. And that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Control-Alt-Career. 
Check back in two weeks' time for my conversation with the founder of Retycle, who's making fashion more sustainable via her secondhand marketplace for children's wear in Hong Kong. And if you like this episode, do share it with two friends who maybe aren't so happy with their corporate job and need a little extra inspiration. And of course, if you're interested in getting some career coaching, feel free to reach out to me or follow me on Instagram or on LinkedIn for more information. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. I'll see you guys back here in two weeks.